Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm here at the Dallas Open uh, in the cool setup uh, with a food court area and there's some practice courts over here uh, and I'm with Mark Lucero, the coach of Steve Johnson. Well, Mark, what's welcome. Up? Ah, thanks man, good to be here. We finally made it happen. I know, we've been talking about this for, uh, what, like six months now? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I've been to three of the same tournaments. We were in my home state, the way to do yeah, it in your home state. Indian Wells. <laughs> yeah. Uh, world team tennis and so on so um, how's the week been so far we were just talking a little bit about you feel like this has been a good setup here yeah it's been awesome um i flew out here saturday morning stevie flew out here friday uh-huh. and yeah it's been great you know the there were great crowds yesterday the first day of qualies uh, which was sunday and practice has been easy like grant chen here is a good friend of ours from california and he's the you know the head men's coach and he really sort of greased the wheels for everything for us to make it really easy and um, yeah just super happy and it's just great to see fan engagement because the last tournament, you know, with this version was in Long Island. They kind of struggled. So it's yeah. been awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so uh, you're here with Steve Johnson. Uh, he's got his singles match. You just found out not tomorrow, but it's going to be on Wednesday. Um, how is uh, Steve's level right now? How are you all feeling about uh, everything going into this tournament? Yeah, I feel pretty good. It was a good start to the year. It was a good January I, from, I think, both of our point of views. You know, he got a bunch of matches in. Normally, he's been a slow starter in his past seasons. If you look at his results in Australia, they haven't, you know, in, historically been great. So this year, I felt pretty good about it. Um, you know, it was weird because it was a condensed off-season. You know, World Team Tennis ran late into November. Yeah. And then, you know, December, you have family. We both had d- different family obligations. So we really only practiced together maybe three or four days in December. And all December before we went to Australia, which is kind of funny. But yeah. um, he felt ready to go. And, you know, we both kind of felt refreshed. And, yeah, January was good. He had a little injury coming out of Melbourne. Uh-huh. He was coming out of Adelaide 2, carrying into Melbourne. Oh, um, but, yeah, it's all good now. And uh, I thought even in spite of that, he played well in Melbourne. Like, good win over Jordan Thompson and then yeah. uh, a tough one with Sinner. Yeah, yeah. But, it's a tough throw. Yeah, but, you know, we went into February feeling pretty optimistic. So Yeah, yeah. I think I watched the Thompson match. He won in five. He won in five, yeah. Yeah, that was a really, pretty good effort. Yeah, that was a really tough one. Um, that was a fun match to watch, too. Uh, so why did he not uh, play any doubles there? Or maybe he played one tournament? Well, it, it, yeah, it was because um, because of the groin issue coming uh, out of Adelaide 2. I see. He, okay. he, told, he was supposed to play Austin Krychik in Melbourne. Right. And yeah. they had the conversation before the tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, Steve wanted to make sure that Austin had the best chance to do well. And also for Steve, for his own self, if he was able to get through a round of singles, which we weren't even sure if he would be able to, yeah. we didn't want to be in the position where, you know, he had to go play doubles, yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. nursing an injury, potentially making it worse. That we just makes, didn't want to makes total do that. Sense. Yeah. So was that public knowledge at the time, or is that that he was hurt? Yeah. Do you all like try to keep that kind of? Uh, I think if you saw him playing Adelaide, you would have. You would have known. <laughs> yeah, okay. you would have known. And okay. I think people are aware. The locker room's aware. Yeah. Um, you know, it's different from the NFL. Like we don't tennis doesn't publish like an injury list. Yeah. yeah. Uh, every right. Thursday or whatever. An injury report. <laughs> Which I think they should. Maybe they should. Maybe I don't yeah. know for the fans. I don't know. And for the gamblers, right? Like they're the ones who. For the gamblers. Yeah. You know, but they, uh, yeah, a website like that would make a lot of money on the gamblers. Yeah. They'd pay for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I do remember uh, at World Team Tennis, I was talking to uh, Phil, who's over here now, yep. um, and he was he's the coach of Austin Krychek, and I'm hoping to have him on the podcast at some point this week, but yeah, he told me that they were going to play together again this year, um, and uh, hopefully maybe later uh, in the year. Yeah, I think uh, 
Sorry, you're going to find spots in the calendar to where doubles make sense, and Steve likes to play doubles. Uh, yeah. But, you know, his priority is singles and trying to put himself in the best position to do well. But he loves playing with Austin. Like, they had good results. They yeah, finaled they Cincinnati. And, right. Um, yeah, they're, they're a really good team, and they, they played well in the first Adelaide, I yeah. believe. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, awesome. Um, so, hopefully the fans can still hear us because uh, the last started but um i'll hold the mic a little closer um so uh with him and austin playing together it's a lefty righty combo i asked phil this question in um in uh indian wells and wanted to get your perspective on it today um they actually play with uh backhands in the middle and forehands on the outside uh what's the reason for that from your perspective um are you involved in a lot of the doubles coaching? No, to be honest, if you, if you would have asked me what side they play, like yeah. right now, cold, I would have. I would have been a total okay. guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, to so be you honest, just like, let Phil kind of handle that. You know, yeah, and, and, Steve, and I, Steve, Steve just kind of goes out and plays anyways. Huh? Yeah, you know, he, he's pretty versatile, returning from both sides. Right. Um, and it's I think when Steve plays, it's more a matter of you know finding where his partner's comfortable and, and mm-hmm. usually with some of the doubles only guys like like austin yeah. they play much more on one side than the other so steve can kind of be the uh like the utility infielder in baseball like you know if you have a hole you plug him in there and you let the guys who kind of have their set positions play there yeah, yeah. so Very yeah good. that makes sense um so I, I have another question for you about steve uh i'm gonna kind of challenge you a little bit on this so when i watch him play I feel like he, every second serve, he hits a kick serve to the backhand. Every second serve. Why doesn't he ever mix it up in a slice serve, especially in the new sport? Yeah, you know, it's been kind of a little bit of a talking point about trying to mix things up and okay. um, not, be, I mean, not be so predictable. Than me, but, but the, the goal is to not, not be predictable. Right, exactly. Um, I feel like it, it can be a good strategy to start out, but then you can play somebody into a rhythm, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I you know, know. I'll tell him that Will said to mix in some slice <laughs> serves. I mean, I don't uh, know if he be, should be taking advice from me, but I'm just curious. Like, yeah, you know, if you looked at his numbers, actually, they support what you're saying. Like, his win percentage when he serves second serves to the forehand is actually quite high. That's what I would think because he he'll get a forehand for the serve plus one. And usually, and most players needs. too are looking, they're leaning one way, they're leaning to the backhand. So right. the challenge for him is to, is to be aware when he's going heavy, heavy one side yeah, to mix the up the body serve, use the forehand serve, and then it'll make that kick serve to the back end much more effective. Better, yeah. yeah. If they have to honor both sides, right, 100%. Right, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so a, a few, probably a month ago, I listened to your uh, interview with Kamal Murray, um, which was a great interview. We'll link to it. <laughs> that was uh, funny. <laughs> link to it in the show notes. Uh, and I, I don't remember all the details, but I remember you were, you were telling your story of how you got started in tennis. You went to uh, law school, mm-hmm. um, and it was, it was a really good story. So tell the listeners Thanks. a little bit about like kind of your story of how you got started in tennis to where you are now. Yeah, um, I you know I grew up as a kid playing all the sports, and there was just one summer when I remember watching this like skinny kid with long hair and jean shorts like play on TV a bunch of times, and yeah. you know I started seeing him on television a lot and I said you know hey mom like I think I want to do tennis lessons and at the same time a bunch of my buddies from high school or not from high school from grade school they wanted to say they for whatever reason talked to their parents and my mom's like oh it's funny because you know your friends so and so and so and so they all want to take lessons too so there was a group of five of us myself my brother 
a set of twins, and then another dude. So there were five of us. We took a group lesson once a week mm-hmm. from a local pro at some like swim and tennis club, and uh, you know it, it was chaos, but I loved it. And yeah. I ended up just you know falling in love with the game and sticking with it. Um, a lot fast forward, I played tennis at Boston College, and mm-hmm. uh, I thought I was going to go straight into like some sort of grad school after. Yeah. Um, I had this like crisis of conscience one night, like in my senior year, and I realized that. I wasn't ready to do that. I, I still had more tennis in me. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to go play some tournaments, you know, travel, play some futures, whatever. And, you know, I called my mom the next morning. I was like, Mom, like, I had a terrible night last night. I couldn't sleep. Like, you know, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's so funny because your dad couldn't sleep last night either. Oh. She's like, you know, he was thinking about what you're going to do next year. And, yeah. you know, he wants to support you to do, you know, what you want to do. Wow. And so I talked to my dad that day. And, you know, we had this heart-to-heart. And... You know, we came to this agreement where, you know, he would support me, like, to play, like, another year of tennis, like, and yeah. travel and do whatever, if I went to law school after. Oh, so, okay. you know, like, I'm like, that sounds like a great deal. You know, I can bluff my way through law school, even if I have no interest in it. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, played my year, like, didn't do anything worth noting, and I found myself in law school and at the University of San Diego, and at the same time, I was still, I was working with some kids on the weekend, I was playing money tournaments, like, on the weekends as well, yeah. um, while in school. And, you know, I liked school-ish, but I wasn't, like, I wasn't all in. You know, yeah. I, just, I just wasn't all in, wasn't all there, because I still had one foot in this other world. Yeah. And at the end of that year, I took a job coaching a girl in Orange County who, um, you know, who I had known. And I was like, gosh, I really, really like this. I think I want to, actually, that's, that's a mistake. <laughs> uh, I took a job. I took some kids to some tournaments in Europe. Just as, as a summer job. Yeah. And my dad had said, you know, yeah, okay, you can stop going to law school if you have a plan when you come back from Europe. Yeah. Didn't, I didn't have a plan. Um, I stopped in Boston for a couple days, see one of my buddies. And I was like, what's the easiest thing for me to do? It's coach. So I was looking through coaching jobs, like college coaching jobs. I applied for a job at Princeton, women's assistant, because I thought that it would buy me a couple weeks. Just to tell my dad I had... Some yeah. irons in the fire. Yeah. Uh, we ended up speaking with a coach who, she was maybe 25, 26. It was going to be her first head coaching job. And we saw kind of eye to eye. You know, I kind of strung the, the process along because I wanted to yeah. just keep buying time. Keep and, and, you know, after a week or so, she was like, listen, I need to know, like, are you a real candidate? Or, like, you know, should I move on? And I was working out one day with my former trainer and, He's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? You take the job and you don't like it and you come back, you know? And yeah. so I'm like, okay, like, you know, let's do it. So that was my first job. I got into college tennis that way. I went to Princeton. I coached there for three years. I uh, left Princeton, took a job coaching this girl who we had recruited at Princeton in Orange County. And I found that I really liked the individual coaching, not yeah. having a time constraint, not having a bunch of players to worry about, but coaching right. one-on-one. That led me to another job. Um, you know, coaching a player who was like around 500 in the world. Uh, we improved the ranking quite a bit in a short amount of time. A few months later, I was signing up for Facebook one day because I was bored with her at a tournament in freaking Venezuela or Toronto or somewhere. I got a message back from this guy that I had friended on Facebook. Yeah. And he worked for the USTA. He's like, Mark, I've been trying to contact you. I've been trying to figure out a way to get in touch. We're adding some positions in Carson. Would you be interested? Yeah. That led to five years with the USTA, and one thing led to another, and here I am. So how long have you been working with uh, Steve? Uh, We started in December of 2019. Okay. So we 
yeah, started then, got into the pandemic, and here we are, yeah. Here's Phil. How you doing? Sorry, man. You're good. I need to get my Dude, I'll send you a Whatever. Text. You're, you're good. Yeah, you're good. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> hey, I'll reach out to you. I just got your message. No rush. You here all week? I'm here all week. Yeah, no rush, man. Um, where were we? So, so December 2019. Okay. Um, we started, is that right? We started working together, yeah. Okay. And who were you coaching before that? Shelby Rogers. Shelby Rogers. We worked together for quite a while. Um, yeah. She's had a great last couple of years. For all of 2015, all of 2016, 2017, yeah. 2018, and 2019, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and have you coached any doubles at all? I guess in college you have to a little bit. In college, um, you know, obviously, like, when Shelby or the other players I worked with, when they would play doubles, like, yeah. try to do some stuff. Um, but I find myself seeking out people that I think are really good at doubles. Okay. Well, well, for working singles, yeah. But yeah. in terms of when it comes to learning about doubles or trying to help my players with doubles, yeah. I ask people that I think are really good. Like, okay. so... You know, Eric Buderak is someone who, like, I've leaned on in the past. Right. Like, and, you know, <laughs> in spite of what it might seem like, my ego is very small. So I always try to seek out people that can help my players. Yeah, so I've brought Eric Buderak into practices with Shelby a bunch of times. You know, Bethany Maddox-Sands, like, yeah. you know, if she's on court with Shelby, like, at Fed Cup, we were always, you know, all ears. Or yeah. um, Lisa Raymond was Fed Cup doubles, you know. Sure. We'd ask Lisa. So I try to learn about doubles from those kind of people. Yeah, yeah. Me, me as well. We've had Eric on the show, and I, I definitely want to have uh, Lisa. And New tournament director well. for Cincinnati. I know, I saw that. Shout out, Eric. Congratulations, yeah. buddy. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be really awesome. We'll do a good job there. Um, uh, so for singles, what, what do your practices look like right now with Steve? Um, let's say two types of practices. One is uh, off-season for Australia you know, between... I don't know, sometime in December, and then right now we're in the middle of the tournament. What does the practice look like? You know, it's a lot about understanding what the individual needs. So with Steve, a lot of times, um, for him to play the way he wants to play, he needs to be really fit and really explosive. Okay. So, we, we, you know, one of the things is making sure that his off-court workouts uh, are geared that way. So it's not maybe... You know, it, so he does a lot of power, so he does a lot of explosive stuff. Okay. Not stuff that's like heavy and slow, but stuff that's like light and fast yeah. so to make those fast switch muscles start. And then we can incorporate it on the court. And so we want to do a lot of um, a lot of physical drills, a lot of drills that re- sort of reinforce the footwork patterns that he uses a lot, uh-huh. like moving around his backhand, like yeah. that, that first step out of the split to move left, right. um, stuff like that. We like to do a lot of... Um, do a lot of like sharpening his weapons, yeah. trying to make sure that he's confident in that forehand, trying to make sure he feels good about his serve. You know, continuing to work on the slice, working on hitting two-handed returns. A lot of yeah. the, that stuff, you know, we'll do in the off-season. At tournaments, it's a little different. Um, a lot of times in tournaments, like we'll work on certain patterns that he's going to use against certain guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's more schedule or setting the practice around the opponent, kind of. At tournaments, yeah. If we know who he's going to play, like yeah. we'll. You know, first off, we'll always work on the things that he needs to work on or the things that he needs to do to feel like he's ready. Okay. So it's going to be a lot of serves, a lot of forehands, some slices. Usually that's kind of like the steady diet. Yeah. Um, and then one or two patterns or one or two patterns, even in like a fed ball drill, 
that he's going to do, like maybe specific sequences he's going to do against, you know, whoever he plays. Okay. Who yeah. does he play Wednesday? He's playing Adrian Manorino. Okay. So can, can you tell us what's the what's the kind of game plan for that? We're not going to release this until after the match. <laughs> well, Steve, the, the thing people always want to ask about game plans, but Steve's going to play how Steve plays. Right. You know, which he's going to slice his backhand. He's going to look to hit in big inside-out forehands. Yeah. And, you know, he's going to be really scrappy. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be basically like, can he... Uh, Kenny Lock Manorino in right. a pattern that, that works for Steve. Manorino is a left-handed yeah, player, so. very good backhand, likes to poke it cross-court early, so you know, you obviously you want to stay away from that sort of weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, very crafty, coming off a pretty good Australia, like he beat Karatsev there. Okay. I think he beat Murray, maybe. Uh, uh, he did. I think he had a run. So, like, yeah, so several rounds. we're going to just, but basically, you, you think of, we think about trying to put Steve in a position to use those weapons, mm-hmm. so patterns that he's going to be able to use a slice where he's going to be able to find inside out forehands. Okay, got it. And so so against the lefty, Manorino, if, he's, if he likes this this backhand cross court, uh, Steve's running around his, his backhand, maybe he's going inside out back to the forehand? Yeah, a lot. To, to set up a short ball? Yeah, to set up a ball that he can go inside in on okay. so that Manorino can't get a clean hit on it. Got it, okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and then, uh, as far as yourself, um, you're working with Steve now. Do you uh, have any plans to work with like multiple players or anything like that? Or uh, is... I don't. It's uh, it becomes challenging. I know you're doing this tennis channel thing too. So I do. Yeah, a, I, I do some television. On. Like at some different tournaments. Uh, yeah. Like Australia was very busy for me because I did a lot of TV down there. Yeah. Um, you know, U.S. Open gets busy, so it's yeah. tough to really do a good job in everything if you do too many things. Uh-huh. So for me, like I'm pretty content just to yeah. you know work with one player, and I work with Steve, and then do the television throughout the year, and yeah, yeah, you know, and then focus okay. on everything else. And are you <laughs> traveling to every tournament with Steve right now? That's the plan. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Are you doing Tennis Channel this week as well? Uh, no. Kind of in between. No, 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 they no, didn't no, ask you to do that. No. Okay. So how, how do you decide uh, for Tennis Channel commentating, like? Well, tennis channel. I've only done a couple. I've only done a couple things for them. Uh, oh, really? okay. A lot of times, like throughout the year, like for Australia and for the U.S. Open, yeah. that'll be for the World Feeds production, um, which then goes out to you know the ESPN platforms and then goes around to other countries. Um, right. And then tennis channel will sometimes pick that stuff up. Okay. Uh, or like World Team Tennis. Uh, yeah. World Team Tennis. They do their own production as well, and then tennis channel picks it up. Okay. Um, so it's not actually for. But usually, in most cases, the tennis comes first. The coaching comes first. And then yeah. if I can fill in the TV throughout, like, you know, after that, then that's when I can do that. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still learning about all the <laughs> yes, yes. different things it's everybody's confusing. doing and stuff like yeah. that. Um, so how is the groin for Steve now? Is he, I noticed he's not in the doubles role this week. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's good. I mean, as far as as far as I know, yeah. <laughs> it seems good. Okay. Uh, yeah, no doubles. You know, he doesn't play doubles every tournament. Right. And especially this part of the year, too, we want to focus on, like, focus on the singles like he needs to get his ranking back up yeah um so we're gonna put all the effort in the singles right now okay yeah. awesome um all right a couple of uh, rapid fire questions yeah. that i like to end with Ooh, i'm ready um what is your favorite tournament paris paris and uh, charleston for the women okay why uh because bob moran eleanor uh adams are the best yeah why paris I have great memories. Like Shelby did great there. That was one like one of my the first tournaments. I was with the player who you know 
made it deep. You know, she quarterfinal there in 2016. Okay. Um, it was a really special. Just you know, she was the last person in the main draw. She was 108 in the world. Yeah. She got so in. You mean Roland Garros? Roland Garros. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, first, you said Paris. I was thinking the Masters 1000. Sorry, there. Roland Garros. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just a men's event. So, okay. Yeah. Roland Sorry, Garros. Roland Garros. Uh, what is your favorite tennis book? Book. Yeah, tennis book. Um, a Fighter's Mind by Sam Sheridan. Oh, I haven't. Not heard about it. tennis. Oh. It's about uh, combat sports one on one. So okay. he goes. I think it's like ten or eleven chapters. Yeah. Each chapter he goes and spends like a week with a different fighter, uh-huh. and he talks about how they process competition through their mind. And it's the closest thing I've ever read to what goes on in a tennis player's mind when, when they compete. And like you know, people love like Brad Gilbert's book, which I do too, and yeah. um, Timothy Galloway's book. Yeah, Inner Game. Inner Game. And those are great, but like this, this for me felt like what I felt as a player, or what I want my players to feel like when they're out there competing, which is basically, you know, not doing any judgment yeah. and realizing that there's a result that's inevitable. Yeah. And like you're going to win or you're going to lose. There's only two things that might happen, and you yeah. need to be okay with both. And you know, it's going to happen no matter what, no matter like what you think or what you feel right now. One of those two is going to happen in yeah. two hours. So, so what are you going to do to make sure it's? Well, it, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, but, but you need to put yourself in the mindset where you can't be you can't be scared of losing. Mm. You can't be afraid to win, okay. because it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. So you, you sort of coming to that like okayness factor. Yeah. I think it's a big step forward for a lot of players. I'll have to read it. Yeah, yeah. I've not heard that uh, that one recommended yet. So that book leads to my other favorite book, which okay. is called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Yeah, I've he was. That. Yeah. You, you read the Art of Learning? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's I love good. it. He's freaking brilliant. Yeah, he is really good. He makes um, this analogy. Sorry, he makes this analogy uh, about the kids he was teaching in chess or whatever. Where he makes this analogy where they're so they're upset about the errors they made, and they you know they make another error because of that. He makes the analogy of you know when you're crossing the street and a bus goes by that almost hits you. And you turn to yell at the bus, and you don't see the other car coming, and it freaking hits you, <laughs> which it happens in tennis. Yeah, you know, absolutely does. <laughs> so anyway, continue, yeah. please. No, that wasn't very rapid book. fire of me. No, 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 you're good. The, the answers don't have to be uh, rapid <laughs> okay. fire. Um, the next question was, what's your favorite non-tennis book? But I think you answered that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, next is, uh, did you play a lot of doubles? I guess you played in, yeah, in college. In college. Yeah. What's your favorite play in doubles? So, for example, mine is uh, when my partner's returning and they hit a good low return to the opponent who's serving and balling, and then I can poach right off the return mm, Yeah. the point that way. What's, um, what's your favorite play? I mean, my favorite play is running around a second serve return on the, on the ad side and hitting inside out forehand. Inside so, out? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I played the ad side. Yeah. Um, I thought I returned pretty well from the outside. Like, I loved running around second serve and cranking a forehand. Yeah, um, and you're, you're angling it off the court? At the guy's feet, it doesn't come back. Yeah. At the feet? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, at the time, guys were serving and balling. Yeah, yeah. Now, to be honest, I don't know if you do that return now. Because yeah. if guys are staying back, I think it's a different, you know, it's a totally different dynamic now. But um, I love to do that, and I liked... Um, I liked, on a second serve, going... Yeah. On the do side, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that, yeah. 
Um, deuce side is good too because you have your with my partner servant, yeah, and forehand in the middle, um, so it makes it a lot easier. But I, yeah, I tell people that a lot. Like once or twice per set, you should go on a second serve, hundred percent, because they, uh, especially at like our level, like the club level. Uh, these returners and almost everybody plays traditional formation but the returners yeah. get in such a rhythm returning cross court totally especially on second serve so you've got to uh, just cut one of those off and get a free point absolutely um so last question for you uh how do we uh, make doubles more popular at the pro level yeah um i think uh scheduling is one way i think incentivizing the top singles guys to play doubles because you know yeah. you, you think about the tournaments that do that well like in Indian Wells you, you see that there's huge crowds when those top players yeah. play doubles um, yeah. I think that you know and I think even in the shorter term like I think if you can figure out a way to market doubles better like market the personalities like tennis I think does a pretty bad job of you know I think of making people aware like your yeah. average sports fan aware of what's going on yeah, yeah telling the stories I wonder if you think about the you know, I'm sure you've seen the NASCAR documentary, not NASCAR, yeah, the Formula One show on yeah, Netflix, for tennis which now. they're doing on tennis. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't even like motor racing, but I yeah. like learning about people. Yeah. And, and now I'm like into it, you know what I mean? Right. Um, same thing, like I was watching the Tom Brady show last night, like the man in the arena. I don't really like Tom Brady, yeah. but watching him for 30 minutes, like just talk about what he's feeling and thinking, yeah. like make, oh man, I'm pretty interested in this guy, you know? Yeah, you have to be. So tennis, I think is the same way. Yeah, I think uh, when I asked Eric Buterak uh, that question, I think he, he was the one who talked a lot about uh, stories. He was yeah. like, we need to have stories around the players and like get to know the players better because um, everybody knows you know Nadal's personality and yeah. knows like Medvedev's personality, and but in doubles like they don't. Um, the thing so about tennis that's a, what's so hard is like you know a lot of times like at least half the draw, the people here are only going to see once. You know what I mean? So if there yeah. was a way for people to see players more often when they're there, like, I've always thought, like, I mean, I think tennis is saturated with players. I think there should be fewer. Honestly, like, I think there should be fewer players, mm. and the format should be round robin for singles and doubles. Mm. Because how, like, you know, if you're, you know, you, you have a family, three kids, like, whatever, the kids love tennis, yeah. you want to buy tickets to come see Jensen Brooks because you guys saw him play on TV during the Open. Yeah. When's Jensen Brooks going to play? I, I don't know. Yeah, you have no idea. I don't know. So what are fans supposed to do? Like, it, oh. and, and then he might lose first round. Yeah, exactly. And, and then might. Yeah, exactly. It's, so like, it's interesting. You know, and it's just you know, kids have school and you have work and blah blah blah. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to buy tickets for Friday night. Like, you know, seven o'clock. Like, you know, quarterfinals going to be expensive. Like, right. okay, who are we going to see? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah, some no. qual- maybe a lucky loser comes through because like you know two guys were tired oh. or something. I've I think that's one of the that. biggest things really like that good, yeah. tennis has a problem with, you know. Right. Because yeah, in other sports, like if I want to go watch the Mavericks game and like, yeah, you can look at the schedule and know where they're going to be in six LeBron. months. Yeah. Like oh, <laughs> yeah. the Lakers are coming to town in March. Like yeah, I'll just buy a ticket now. That's, yeah, that's interesting. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I, I've not thought about that. So more like round robin tournaments, maybe like eight or that's what I think. Some I mean, pools with like a semifinal and final, yeah. like the, the ATP final. Does. Yeah, it's just hard because then it's fewer jobs, and you know, like yeah, it's, tough. it's tough. But uh, that's what I think because tennis is so star driven, and you know, if you want to have personalities, like yeah, people need to be familiar with who they're seeing. You know, yeah, there's no perfect solution, and you could do all. the same thing for doubles. Yeah, I think. Yeah. But yeah, that's my uh, that's my thing. Awesome. One of my big things. I also think there should be world team tennis after the U.S. Open. 
So and no Asian swing. At yeah, that part of the year. It can September. be a different part of the year. No I China. Do, I do like the uh, the two-week format they have with World Team Tennis. Yeah. Now, though. I mean, COVID kind of forced that, but I think it rejuvenated in one location i think it's bit. great yeah, yeah. the thing is like last year. the thing is like after the u.s open there's such like there's just like this like crescendo of media attention right uh, like you know in the u.s certainly because u.s open is a huge story it's new york yeah and then all of a sudden like you know people are like oh there's still tennis like yeah oh like they're playing in tokyo in the middle of the night or yeah. oh they're playing in freaking wuhan or shanghai like in the middle of the night like why are you know is this relevant? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so I think that part of the year, like, I think tennis should end around the U.S. Open. And you can have world team tennis in the U.S. Like, I bet it'll get media attention because yeah. people are still sort of paying attention after, you know. Yeah, they can carry that momentum. Yeah. On my, like, on my website, my traffic, like, if you look at a graph of my website traffic, it always peaks at the U.S. Open. And then it's just a steep drop right after. So it's exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Um, awesome, Mark. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Good luck Wednesday uh, against Manorino. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it.